I want to ask you to stop and think about something for just a minute. Here it is. In the last seven days, if I, if I asked you to calculate the number of times that you've experienced the act of having someone try to scam you, how many times would you calculate? Would you tell me that to your knowledge, no one has tried to scam you? Would your number be low? Would you say, well, maybe one, two, three times? Or would you say, you know what, Luke, I, I think I can identify sometimes. I think there's been some phone calls I've received that say scam likely, but my guess is the number, maybe it's higher than I'm able to even calculate. Here's why I ask the question. Every month, I receive a periodical that is aimed at keeping readers aware of popular scams so that these might be avoided through awareness. And what the writers of the periodical know is how quickly the business of scamming has increased in size. I want you to listen to these statistics. In the United States, one in every 10 adults will fall victim to a scam or fraud every year. Now, around 50% of people contacted by a scammer actually engage with them. Ask yourself this, have you ever engaged with a scammer? Of those engaged, 30%, good news, did not lose money. 23% did. Of those approached by scammers on social media, that number goes up. 91% engaged and 53% lost money. Said simply, there's a lot of scamming going on out there. And the honest truth is, most of us probably are unaware of how often in the course of an ordinary week, scammers are at least trying to make contact with us. I counted this week about 15 times in which the phone number of an incoming call to my cell phone read scam likely. Wow. Now, I, I do believe most of us are aware of things we should and should not do given the statistics in front of us. Never give out personal information over the phone. Social security numbers are a no-no. Do not ever purchase gift cards. Scratch off their backs, take pictures of them, and send them to anyone. Don't, don't do that. Don't engage someone claiming to have kidnapped your child or your grandchild, demanding ransom, even if they do seem to know a little bit about them. Don't send money to a soul who claims to have fallen in love with you. By the way, the picture they sent you of themselves is not their picture. Not at all. For the most part, I think we're at least familiar with some of the scams happening out there. But hang on to your hats. You know why? AI is coming. I want you to think about this scenario. The periodical I subscribe to indicates that what I'm about to play out for you is no longer a distant possibility. It is a present reality. Okay, here it goes. You're minding your business. You're making it through the day when your phone rings. On the other end of the line is the voice of an individual who informs you that they've just kidnapped your son or daughter, or in the case of someone like me, your grandson or your granddaughter. Immediately, cortisol fires through your body. Your autonomic instincts kick in. You're now in full flight or fight mode, and flight is not an option. Still, in the back of our heads, there's a question. Is this for real? Yet, as soon as you ask the question, it's answered. The kidnapper tells you that they're sending you visual evidence of the kidnapping. And sure enough, within seconds, a short video is sent to your phone. And before your very eyes, you witness it. It's a short video. The kidnapper is throwing your son or daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter into a van. 
the kidnappers back on the phone line. You hear them say, just so you know, we mean business. I'm going to have you listen to your son or daughter. And sure enough, on the line, you hear their voice, the voice of your son or your daughter pleading with you, Daddy, Mama, help me. Only what you don't know is that both the video and the voice are not real. They were digitally created by AI. It is not your son or daughter. Not at all. You have been scammed. Look, this sounds kind of scary. That's not, that's not comforting. What, what, is it, what does it have to do with our podcast today? I'm glad you asked. Last week, we began to talk about what I'm calling a short detour into the question of what the scriptures have to say about Antichrist. Now, there's a reason we're doing this. As we get near the end of Daniel's narrative, Jesus appears to him in what we've been calling an ecstasy. Daniel literally feels as though he's been lifted up out of his body. He's now standing before warrior Jesus. As he stands before him, Jesus begins to share with Daniel a word picture of history to come. He shows him the fall of Persia to Greece. He shows him the reality that Greece, as strong as it would become under Alexander the Great, would fall to Rome. And then something happens. As Jesus gets to the fall of Rome, he jumps forward to the end of time and shows him how Antichrist, a figure prefigured by Antiochus IV Epiphanes, will play a role in seeking to scam the nations in the end times. Now, here, here's what I want you to keep in mind. Though Daniel himself will not live to see all that Jesus is showing him, it is through him, that is through this narrative, that God intends to show us, those of us alive today, what to look for in these end times. Said simply, Jesus through Daniel speaks into the church today and says, Church, beware. The greatest scammer of all times is active among you. And who is he? He's Antichrist. Church, do not be fooled by his deceptions. It's for this reason that we're taking this detour. I want us to be aware of the fact that we're now living in the times that Daniel foresaw. And the warning that God gave to Daniel to be on guard against the deceptive one is meant for us, for you and me living in the times that we are in today. Today, we're going to try to answer a couple of questions. Namely, number one, exactly what does the Bible mean when it uses the term Antichrist? And number two, what should we be looking for? I believe our enemy is not just good. He is a great deceiver. AI has nothing on him. So how do I know Antichrist? It's our topic for our podcast today, and I thank you for joining me. I want you to allow me to just pick up then where we left off last week. Last week, I shared with you the fact that the actual term Antichrist is not used often in the Bible. Back question for you. Do you remember how many times I told you it's used? Or the name of the single biblical writer who utilizes the term? The writer, of course, is John, and the number is four. The term shows up twice in 1 John chapter 2, once in 1 John 4, and once in 2 John 7. There's other terms utilized for Antichrist, which we'll see. So our detour is going to take us into a couple of places outside of John's epistles, including 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation 13. But I want to begin with John, specifically 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. A scripture, I believe, is so relevant for the time that we're living in today. Allow me to read from 1 John. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to try and pick out the clues 
that John is giving us in his description of Antichrist. This is 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 18. Lord, we're just going to pray that you would give us your insight through these words. Here we go. Quote, John writes, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. End quote. So let me ask you, were you able to pick some clues out? Let me start with some background. Remember with me that John is writing this epistle, some of the last words he will write prior to going to heaven, around 90 AD. The emperor in Rome at this time is Caesar Domitianus Augustus, more popularly known as Domitian. By the way, if that name does not strike dread into your soul, it should. From the perspective of Christianity, Domitian was one of the most cruel persecutors in all of history. Now, note, as John begins this epistle, he uses the term eschaton, hora, two Greek words. He writes eschaton. It is the last hora, hour. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute, and I want to remind ourselves of how God tells time. He don't wear a Rolex. He's not interested in Fitbit trackers. No, when God tells time, he looks at a clock with a hand that points to one of three words. Just picture that clock in your mind. Get the big hand. Let's just picture a clock with one great big hand, and it's pointing in one of three directions. In the Revelation, also written by John, we're given the three words on the clock. The words are, it is a time, a times, it's the second one, and a half a time, third one. All of history fits into one of these three hours. Now, the first of these is over. So if you picture that big hand pointing at the first time, it's done, that the hand has passed it. Why? Well, because this time period equates with the Old Testament period, inclusive of what we might call that intertestamental period, that time that began with uh, the closing of Malachi's words and would last up until the words of John the baptizer. Now notice the second word that the, the hand can point to is plural. So there's a time and a times. So this indicates that this second hour is made up of a longer period, a period made up of parts. It's a period that began with the birth or advent of Jesus Christ and continues. I believe to this day. I want you to pick out two things here that are relevant. First, just notice that John, he's writing this epistle in 90 AD. And he's stating we're there right now. We're living in this last hour. Now he can say that because the, the last period, that third period of time is not a full hour. It's a half a time. Here's my second note. I think this is important. When people ask me, are we in the end times? Isn't that exactly what John calls this second time frame, this last full hour? Now, is there another period to come? Yes, that half a time that I believe will be again cataclysmic me and then will mercifully be cut short by God 
as those alive in this period will experience, literally, hell on earth. Side note, I, I know there's been a number of times in history when Christians no doubt I believe that they were entering or even had entered this last period of time, when in fact they had not. That said, I do believe, based upon all the signs the Bible gives to us, that this time is drawing near. Now, here's the key point I don't want you to miss. Having identified the time frame that he's living in, John now speaks these words. Quote, just as you heard, Antichrist is coming. End quote. Heard from whom? Well, from Daniel, from Paul, from John himself. We hear it to, to our day. I'll hear have people say, hey, Antichrist is coming. Antichrist is coming. Well, John says, we, we were hearing that in my time. 98 AD, people were saying the Antichrist is coming. Just as you've heard that Antichrist is coming. Now listen to the next part. Quote, so now, like right now, 98 AD, many Antichrists have come. Ooh, that's the present tense. John is saying right now, that they're already here. Wow, are these words instructive. From these words, I think we learn two things. First, we learn that when the Bible talks about Antichrist, it does so both in the singular and the plural. The point being that there are many Antichrists active in our world right now. And, and there have been many Antichrists active for a long time. Well, does that mean there there's not an Antichrist who's coming? Of, of course there is. The Bible speaks to an Antichrist as singular as well, a fact that we'll get into when we enter our study of Second Thessalonians. Secondly, we've learned that the Antichrists are not just something to come then in, in the future, but they're part of our world. And I, th I think this is significant. It raises the question, so how do we know one? And this is where verse 19 becomes helpful. Listen to it again. John says of those antichrists that are now present, he says, quote, they went out from us, end quote. All right, so what is he saying? First, he's saying that the antichrists being referred to here are people. They're not monsters. I think one of the great deceptions of our time is the association of the word antichrist with images of horror films. What John's saying is, no, 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 they're not monsters. These are people, flesh and blood people. Now, are the people manipulated demonically? Of course they are, but they're real people. Secondly, they're not just any people. These antichrists are people who at one time, or maybe even presently, call themselves as having been part of the church and quite probably inclusive of leaders, even pastors within it. So don't miss this. They're wearing the clothing of good guys. Jesus? Oh yeah, they would say, the Antichrists. We're all for him. In fact, we come in his name. I've always said that of the four horses that ride in the apocalypse, the single most deadly is the white horse. You know why? Because it rides in Jesus' name. But its intent is to destroy anyone or anything associated with Jesus. When a religious leader speaks oppositional to the Bible, but does so in the name of Jesus, they're acting as Antichrist. And I don't know about you, but everywhere I look today, I absolutely see their presence in our world right now. Thinking about this, most recently, a full-page advertisement appeared in our local newspaper. I discovered after the fact that this same ad appeared in major newspapers across our state. In our state, legislators are locked in a battle over policy that will govern access to abortion 
as well as transgender surgeries for minors under 18 for years to come. Across the U.S., this battle is playing out in significant ways. As the tide has shifted, and it appears that to some degree, access to abortion will become more restricted, it's actually been chilling to watch at how human beings, human beings made in the image of God, are able not only to object to the heartbeat as a sign of a baby's life, but are coldly insistent upon protecting their right to kill children within the womb up to and sometimes even beyond their entry into the world through live birth. As such, the newspaper article, I'm telling you this hit me hard. The ad features the names, one after the other, of some 30-plus pastors from our state who signed their name to the freedom of abortion. As plainly as I can say it, here's what they've said. We, pastors, come in the name of Jesus. And what would Jesus want? He would want to grant humans the right to kill any child that they do not want. This is Jesus' will, and it is good, and it is right. Do you know what this is? In a word, antichristos. Loud and clear. When anyone presents its teaching in the name of Christ in such a way that their teaching stands in direct opposition to Jesus and his words, the Bible, it's not a monster, it's antichrist. Present in our world today? Absolutely. In such a way that we ought to be paying attention? What's the whole point of John's teaching to the church? This epistle. First John, he's saying, church be warned, we've been living in this last full hour for a long time. And when you see it, when you see the rising up of antichrists, know this, the half a time, earth's last days are not far behind. Which lead me with a couple of questions that I want to close with. So number one, as you look at our world today, where do you see evidence of antichrist at work? I have to tell you that I am seeing more and more just his fingerprints over so much of the activity in our nation from mass shootings to just disruption going on in legislation uh, amongst people who are no longer even attempting to look or act civilly. Where, where do you see it? evidence of Antichrist at work? Number two, knowing that the world will call you radical, extreme, and maybe even dangerous. How important is it for us to continue discussing the presence of Antichrist within our families and our churches? Is this a teaching that you're just supposed to keep to yourself because, you know, people will brand you as odd, radical if you don't? Or is this something we need to be in our churches and in our living rooms discussing more? And then number three, how do we do it? How do we make this teaching of Scripture more certain in the lives of our kids or our grandkids' lives? I'm asking the question because as I look at our younger people in the church, I recognize the fact that our young ones will be on the front line where this battle will continue. Many times it's young people who have the ability to speak into the lives of their peers at a time when they're considering something like an abortion. And when they're asked the question, what do you think? The reality is it's not about what we think. It's about what God has already spoken. And what does it mean to walk patiently, lovingly, but firmly with people through a word that challenges us to recognize that God is God and we are not? 
Well, I want you to think about those questions. We're going to continue our our journey and looking into who, who is Antichrist, and uh, we'll we'll pick up with that next week as we move into the next scripture. I, I do want to thank you for listening to this podcast. It means just so much to me. Know that I'm praying for you. I continue to lift you and your families up. Just ask that you would pray for me. And until next time, have a God-sized week.